Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast. Uh, we come to you from Perth, the destination of United's final location on this core pre-season tour. They've been in, we've been in Melbourne, we've been in Bangkok, we're now in Perth. I'm back in Perth uh, for the first time in in three years because, of course, United were here last time. Tyrone Marshall, you've you've been to Perth before this occasion because you've got you've got family out here. Do you prefer it to Melbourne? Um, <laughs> not really. No, no. I went and saw my family on Wednesday night when we when we landed here. We were having this conversation actually, and this is this is the heart of like expat community for Britain, it Australia, is, yeah. isn't it? And I think part of that's the weather. They have much better winters here than they get in in Melbourne and Sydney. Um, it's a bit warmer for them, and I guess a bit closer. But when you're coming to the other side of the world, I'm not sure. I know it's too much. It, it doesn't. No, but it's it's a, it's a sleepier town than Melbourne. It would be oh yes, say, yeah, it? yeah, it's yeah. Uh, some of our uh, revelers, sorry, I should say colleagues. Some revelers, <laughs> revelers and colleagues, uh, certainly made the most of. I think we all enjoyed ourselves in in Melbourne, yeah. to to say the least. Uh, but but one in particular did more than more than others. But he he will go unnamed. Uh, I'll, I'll leave that. Uh, to our listeners to to guess his identity but um i think the last time we did a podcast it, it was probably post match melbourne victory i think i don't think we've touched upon the palace game but before we get into the games and everything we we did have our sit down with ten hag on monday i believe it was wasn't it at annie park in in melbourne um it was there was a bit of uncertainty over whether it would happen but in the end, it happened. We had twenty minutes with him. Um, he was he was great value. I'm sure a lot of the this, uh, the listeners have, have have read the pieces, read the transcripts on the website. I think also just we've we've not long come back from the press conference at the team hotel in Perth today. I think from that press conference, his introductory press conference press conference, which was what two months ago, I think it's pretty clear already that his English has improved a lot. In that first press conference, and probably the one in Bangkok, even last week, so not too long ago, he was quite staccato. But he, he seems to have really hit his stride now, as far as you know, t- taking on these obligations that come with being Man United manager. Yeah, I think so. It certainly feels like we're getting more out of him now, yeah. isn't it? He's he's engaging a lot more. Um, certainly on the that first press conference, there were some very short answers. Um, you know, today he was good value on, on a range of subjects. I mean, I think we've done five or six stories from it, um, which is always a sign of a, of a pretty good press conference. Um, so there was some interesting stuff from it. He, I think he is someone who, if you get him on football, he he is interesting. There's, there's certain things, you know, Ronaldo came up again today and you can tell then the, the defence is going up and it's a little bit more guarded. But generally he is pretty good. And I think you can tell he's changed that, that sit down. I mean, a lot of people read your your piece today after about how he how he came across and what it was like away from the cameras. And we were all having I mean, had those two press conferences with him. We, I mean, without going into many secrets, we were basically strategizing outside the, yeah. the room, weren't we, yeah. on, on how we were going to what order we were going to ask things in. And we decided to to start it with with small talk and thought we'll try and ease our way in. And he likes golf. It yeah, was the open, golf the final day, the other the, so, the previous yeah. night. Yeah, and we asked him how his day off had been about the golf. And I think we got 10 words across the two answers and yeah. I think we were all terrified. But thankfully, as soon as the football came, he was actually good value he and, was, yeah. and very good. So I think he's he's clearly someone who's got no interest in small talk. No, he's just no. 
let's get the football and I think we had 25 minutes with him and, and it was very interesting stuff. And again today, you can clearly see this. there's been an improvement. He was very engaging today on um, on the young players and, and what they've been like on tour. Um, and he's he's been surprisingly honest, I find, with players. Um, I thought it was good stuff today about Harry Maguire and saying the only way to stop the boo boys is to play well. Yeah. Four. Um, he he's been he's been good on um, the, the the stuff he said about Donny Van Der Beek as well. You compare his first press conference when it was the introductory one at Old Trafford. It was I can't wait to work with him again. It's going to be great. And then this week it's I can't help. Well, I, I can help him, but basically it's down to him. Yeah, it's yeah. Putting the onus on him, and it, it it feels like he's someone who is not afraid to send a message to players through press conferences. Often you'll get managers who, when you bring up individual players in press conferences, they don't want to talk about them. They'll talk about the team as the team in general, the team as a whole, but you go to an individual player and they're always shifting it back onto the team. Yeah. Whereas he is clearly someone who's willing to talk about individual players. And, and I think that helps us. And it's been, it's been interesting over the last week to hear that. It, it certainly has. And I'm, I'm going to take as much credit as possible for, for breaking the ice with my, my Freudian slip during the sit down when I, I, I informed him that Ajax had got to the Champions League final three years ago. Of course they didn't. I very quickly corrected myself and I think he appreciated the fact that I said that they should have got to the final, which I don't think anybody on the planet would have ever mm. disagreed with that. But uh, as, as as we've said, like in his company away from the cameras, it wasn't like we were sharing a beer with him or anything like that. It was it was quite businesslike. We were at uh, Ami Park, which was the stadium they were training at in Melbourne. I think they just had a morning uh, training session at that point as well. And he'd come in from it. He had some media obligations uh, to attend to. Well, not not obligations as such, but I mean, we've we've had great access to um, to United players and and to Ten Hag during this tour. At one point, it looked like it might be you know, a bit of a the same old um, pre-season tour where you're having to, to barter just to, to speak to players or speak to the manager, but the access has been um, really good. We've we've been fortunate to speak to some some big hitters in the squad. We've spoken to Fern Bruno Fernandez in the mix zone. We had a, a very um, <laughs> unique chat with with David de Gea yesterday, particularly given the setting of it. Um, so things from from a, a media viewpoint are, are working quite progressively it's obviously it's positive they've won their three games so far they're playing very good football i think that was probably one of the the few guarantees with ten hag in that when united did hire him you thought well there's there's a set way he wants his teams to play so the football should be entertaining um this season they might not be ne uh, successful necessarily um in his first season but one of the one of the easiest ways to get fans on the side is to have the team playing good football. They're doing that. Obviously, the acid test will come next month. Brighton's on the 7th of August, and then it's two weeks later. They've got Liverpool at home in their next game. But they are making progressive strides, it seems, at the moment. This morning at the team hotel, when um, transfers were were brought up, he's his tone was markedly different from when signings or, or transfers were raised in previous press conferences because time is starting to run out uh, I mean time is always running out but we are approaching the final month of the window and it it felt like he was and with some justification as well pretty much becoming quite demanding that there are at least two key positions that they haven't um they haven't they haven't occupied yet 
I think we all know the names of the, the players he ideally wants. Obviously, Frankie de Jong, we've, we've discussed ad nauseum. Um, Anthony is another player who is still of interest, despite Ajax trying to squeeze 80 million euros out of United for him. Um, but it really is essential that they fill those two those, those two holes in the squad, I suppose. Yeah, it is. It was interesting to hear him during that sit-down earlier in the week basically admit that if they don't sign de Jong, he will just yeah. mould someone from the squad. Um, you know, we've been told all along there is options B, C, D, and so on for that midfield. Do you role. believe that entirely? Or do Not, you think that's a bit of a negotiation I think it's tactic a bit as of a well? Negotiation tactic, certainly to listening to what to Barcelona, Ten Hag yeah. said um, and Barcelona's view. I mean, he was he was very clear on on Monday that if we don't get De Jong, we'll just mould someone for that position. And he was asked about Fred today, and he used he used that term. He's playing as the connector. Yeah, I think is a term he's used about De Jong. And it felt clear that basically Fred is playing the De Jong role yeah. at the moment and maybe will become the De Jong player if, if De Jong doesn't happen. But I mean, it really needs to happen. I spent so much time on it. Um, attack is is clearly an issue. Um, they are very short there in, in that front three, you would say. Um, obviously, there's no Ronaldo on tour. You'd expect him back in the squad. It's quantity over quality, isn't it? They've, yeah. they've got the personnel. They have got options available, but none of them... I mean, Elanga did... Did okay last season mm. from from where from his starting point he, he did better than okay but the, the the quality of depth is just not there is it no it's not it's not and Elanga is still clearly a work in progress um you know I, I think he benefited from the the upheaval last season yeah. and, and the, the disastrous nature of last season I think Maniac saw him as almost someone he you know a way you could leave a mark on the club and yeah. he played him a lot he did do he did do okay. Um, but I don't think he's anywhere near an end product. You, I don't, I don't think you'd necessarily want him as first attacking sub in games. No, um, and, and no. he's not far off off that at the moment. So I think it's clear they do they do need another attacking player. Um, and I, that's if it is De Jong or Boston in midfield, then that, that's fair enough. He's clearly wants De Jong. There are he has got midfield options now with Ericsson. In attack, it can't really be Anthony or Bust. There has to be an alternative in there. Yeah. Because they do need bodies and, and a bit more depth, especially when it's going to be such a demanding season. I mean, he's mentioned the World Cup in a couple of press conferences. He has, now. yeah. I think that's something that every manager is going to be thinking about when it comes to building a squad and letting players go this year because the, the schedule is going to be relentless. Um, players are going to be tired heading into the second half of the season. Obviously, United have got the Europa League on Thursday, Sundays as well. So... I think he will want probably a larger squad than usual. So they've, they've got to make an attacking signing. Yeah. De Jong is a unique case in point in that it's very difficult to identify a midfielder out there with a similar profile who plays that way. I mean, if De Jong was to finally come to United, he, he we've said it before, he could be transformative. It, it could be a disaster. It's easy to see it going either way, really. It's, it's that drastic. But with a forward... Although Anthony is obviously of interest to United still, um, and and has been from you know, quite early on in the year, really when when there was a bit more noise developing about Ten Hag and Ten Hag was gaining momentum, but it seems easier to at least identify alternatives in the attack. And I don't think we're necessarily being knee jerk in saying, well, Sancho's playing on the right. You shouldn't just go out there and get someone who is is a natural right-sided player, which Anthony is. He's left-footed. He operates from the right because, okay, Sancho played most of his football at United last season from the left, 
but the way this team is developing and also the dynamic of that attack in that you've got four forwards who played their best football for United from the left. Credit to Ten Hag, he said, I cannot have this lopsided attack. One of you is playing on the right, whether you like it or not. And Sancho was, I'd say he's probably the most suitable choice for that because of how often he did play there for Dortmund. And lo and behold, he's playing very well. It makes sense to um, pursue uh, with him down there. But is is there any attacker, and I know I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit, but is there any attacker that jumps out that you think there's a market for him, he's attainable, he suits United's needs? We could narrow it down just say a, a Dutch player, uh, yeah. a former Ajax yeah. player, yeah. Uh, someone who plays in the Eredivisie. Or a Quincy Promise, maybe. <laughs> yeah. three right, um, where's Ryan Babel these days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was signed by Ten Hag as well, I think. Uh, versatile. I believe Ten Hag had a big influence on Memphis Depay, actually, as a... Uh... As a, a young oh, a young coach somewhere and a young player, I can't remember where, but I remember reading that I think they had quite a big influence on him when that pass crossed. He was at PSV Ten Hag, wasn't he? he? I think I in think, the reserve reserve team, so it might have been PSV, that. Yeah. Um, oh God. So yeah, maybe they should start negotiating with Barcelona for uh, another player. Oh. I'm sure that would I'm sure that would end very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's no one standing out, but I wonder if. The attraction of Anthony is partly the left-footedness. We know he wanted a left-footed centre half. half. Yeah. Um, there's the only other, obviously left-footed left back. You've got Fred in attack of the players available at the moment. There's there's no left footer there, and you wonder if that's something he he wants with with balance. I'm, I'm hearing fans screaming Ahmad Tahith Chong. Yeah. Just listen to <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, or fan, maybe a fan of each one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't see either of them getting a look in at the moment. Um, Tahith Chong is Dutch and he's still not getting much of a look yeah, in, which, yeah. you know, at least at least Ten Hag is objective with yes, his outlook. Yeah, it's not, very not clear. Every Dutch player yeah. is, uh, is going to get a chance. Um, so, yeah, you, want, you wonder if the left footed thing might be something that he, he wants a bit of balance because obviously he went for Martinez and it was clear he wanted a left footed yeah. centre half to play on that left side. Sancho can play right wing and we've Last season, I mean, Ajax had a left-footed left winger and a left-footed right winger because because Tadic played as a natural yes, yeah. left-footed winger and just chucked crosses in for Haller. So um, I think we mentioned before, well, on this tour, that he's clearly flexible in terms of how his front three line up. Um, and that the, the, I, I guess the tricky thing with the attack is not knowing what's going to happen with Ronaldo. I think the longer it goes on, we're all suspecting he's going to stay at the club. There doesn't appear to be a market for no, him at the moment. No. And in that case... There's no point really signing a, you know, a option C, option D striker when really you need a big big name striker next yeah. year. Really, when Ronaldo probably goes, um, so maybe he does look at if he's very confident Ronaldo is going to stay. Go back to looking at a right winger, maybe someone with a left foot. Um, maybe that's the the criteria. It certainly seems something that he he wants this sort of balanced idea of, mm. of a team and balance within a team. And I guess they haven't got that in attack at the moment. No, no. Uh, I mean, the irony is that in that first press conference in Bangkok, he he specifically said midfield and attack were the priority areas. They've gone and signed a left-back and, and a centre-back. Lissandra Martinez will be confirmed eventually once the, the visa process or the medical is, is sorted, that there have been indications from United that could be sooner rather than later. That, that deal has already been announced because of the Amsterdam Stock Exchange. I'm sure listeners have read all of this and rather than just repeating what what we know we'll again delve into that sit down where 
um, despite the way it was interpreted by by one back page regarding Harry Maguire. Ten Hag did say in response to one of the questions, is he a first choice? He said, yes, I think so. And the way he's playing Maguire on tour so far, he's the right-sided centre-back. Lindelof, who, I mean, normally it would be Lindelof on the right and Maguire on the left, but Maguire is playing as the right-side centre-back. The expectation is that Martinez will come in and play as the left-sided centre-back, which means you've got a four-times Champions League winning uh, winner, World Cup winner, who they only signed last year, is now a bench warmer, uh, which is is going to be interesting, especially as I think most people would agree that Rafael Varane is still the best the best defender in that in that United squad when he's fit. That's the issue that United have had with Varane. He has been far too brittle during his time at the club, and there has been a suspicion while we've been out here on tour that um, that he can't do double sessions either. Um, but with Maguire, it's it's been an eventful time for him. He's he's retained the captaincy, and he thought, right, you know, I can get going on tour. That that's that taken care of. But he missed the first game. Uh, the second game, he came back in. He was culpable uh, for Melbourne victory's goal. And then on our last night in Melbourne, he was booed by quite a sizable contingent of of, of the. Um, of the fan base there and there's as you said uh very eloquently there was some spin attempted at the mcg in front of the shane warn stand no less as well to try and depict the booze as somehow being um you know a, a symptom of how victorians behave when they go to yeah. the mcg because australians like sledging and as if it had nothing to do with the fact that Maguire was a walking disaster last season is not particularly popular with a portion of the United fan base, but still a pretty vocal portion. Uh, he, he was culpable, as I said, for that goal. And it was almost as if things manifested themselves. And it was still a jolt when he was booed. But he was booed. But then he played really well. He did play really well, yeah. I thought he had a very good game. Um, and it's been it has been interesting in these two games that he played now to see him playing on the right. Yeah. And he was asked, I was asking him that sit down because he, he talked specifically about Martinez and said he signed for the team, not the squad. There was issues with yeah. the left side. He's going to play on the left side. That's when Maguire has played for his whole United career, really. Um, and yet both of these two games, he's partnered Lindelof and played on the right. So it looks very clear at the moment it will be a Maguire-Martinez partnership. Um the booing was strange. The, the Melbourne victory game, he was actually cheered. I think he got the loudest cheer pre-match. And he has got some loud cheers because he was um, cheered very loudly at the Wacker yesterday was, morning yes, as well. Yeah, I think that was probably a symptom of what had happened yeah, at the MCG. A response to that, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, his name was, was booed when it was read out against Crystal Palace. I think that all took us by surprise. Mm. And I think there was maybe an element of it had started, you know, maybe there was a minority of Aussie United fans who, um, you know, who don't like him. There's obviously a minority of United fans everywhere who, who don't like him. He's he's not won the fan base over. So perhaps they started it and it did feel like it spread a bit in the first 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, so maybe it, it caught on a bit, but I don't think it was solely Aussies. You know, I don't, I don't think they're getting confused with Stuart Broad. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe they heard it and thought this is a bit of fun. So we'll join in with the booing. And it did kind of stop after half an hour, but... There was clearly some United fans doing it. I don't think we can pin it solely on Australians. It would be very strange. As, as I said to you, we, the, the the attempt at spin by um, 
someone that we deal with it, it was it did remind me of, of the whole oh was boris johnson booed at st paul's yeah. cathedral when he came out like it's, it's it's pointless getting into these debates he was very very clearly booed and he would have been booed by a hell of a lot of united yeah. fans inside yeah. there yeah he would have been yeah yeah there was definitely yeah, yeah. there had to have been united fans who who were booing him um and we did, he was i mean he was sarcastically cheered off against um Atletico Madrid yeah, and was, yeah. last year there was a few players who who got that treatment it, you know it was a season where the fans did well to was it fred to fred in the derby, fred in the derby Mark rashford i rashford, think against yeah. villa when he had that dreadful night yeah and then, right. Mag- and then maguire yeah um and yeah i mean it's a strange one with maguire he does seem to have become this and i don't think this was what was causing it on Tuesday necessarily but it does seem to have become this like pantomime villain um which you know I, I think it was pantomime booing was was the words used on on Tuesday but the the booing this is going back now but the I mean the booing he got when he was on England duty in March was absolutely bizarre yeah um when he plays very very well for England people who go and watch England don't like United yeah and, and there aren't many United fans no, that go to Wembley very, either very few United fans I mean 20 years ago maybe when 25 years ago, you'd get England games where the crowd would be singing Stand Up Yeah. Um, so here you've got a player who has played very well for England, is playing poorly for his club, but that's affecting a team that everyone there doesn't like. Yeah. And yet they were booing him. Um, and it does seem to have become a bit of a, a caricature thing about it, about, about Maguire. Um, but I actually think that the way Ted Hag has handled this, and it's fascinating to see whether we've been having this debate over here with, with other people, is he just saying, yep, you're my starting choice, you're, you're my first choice centre-half, you're my captain, and then 10 games in, he's made a couple of mistakes and he's out? Yeah. Or is it a long-term thing? But I think for, for a new manager, I think the easy win here for Ten Hag would have been to say, you're not the captain, I think it's best you focus on your own game. Martinez and Varane will start, and you're right. Because like I say, he's, he's not hugely popular with fans. He's not always been hugely popular in the dressing room last season. Yeah. Um, and that that was an easy win for Ted Hag, but he's you know he's, as we found out he's not a manager interested in easy wins, is he? Um, no, no. He he is showing his authority by basically saying, and it was I thought it was really interesting in that sit down when he was asked about the captaincy, and someone said, "Did you consider putting it to a vote?" And he was just like, "No, the captaincy yeah. is my decision." Yeah. And you, you can see his his authority is all over decisions like that, and when he talks about decisions like that. Yeah, and I've I've never really been. I've I've, ne- I've always found it quite an odd way of going about selecting a captain because the players could be the opinion that it should be one player that just might not be aligned with the manager whatsoever. I think obviously City have had a, a leadership group vote. Um, was it did Arsenal? They they might have selected the players might have selected the captain under under Unai Emery. I might have, might be wrong there, but it, it certainly um, rings a bell. But again, I think there'll be a a lot of people that disagree with Ten Hag keeping Maguire as captain, but if it you know if, if it helps Maguire, if if there's some merit in it, if it if it helps United to have a good start to the season, it will be forgotten. But there's certainly an element of risk with it, and especially given Martinez and Maguire as a partnership playing under Ten Hag, it doesn't seem the most conducive to what he wants United to um, how he wants United to approach games with. We're talking about a high line of pressing. Maguire is not quick, so you're going to leave gaps in behind. Maguire's recovery pace is just pretty much non-existent. We we saw 
Eric Bailly yesterday in training get back to put a challenge in on, on Marcus Rashford that hurt Rashford, but it was hard and it was fair. And so really, United's fifth choice centre-back is possibly the most suitable um, choice for, for Ten Hag's uh, defence. But I don't think is going to be elevated to first choice anytime soon. But he, he seemed pretty pleased with the challenge because he's been sharing it on his Instagram story today. <laughs> uh, from the defence to the attack, Marshall has scored three goals in three games. Uh, as, I've, as I've said, I don't find it particularly surprising that he's performing well because there's no competition. And when there's no competition, he tends to perform. And we were informed yesterday that United have decided, it, not, not a massive surprise whatsoever given his form, but United have decided he is not being sold this summer, but that hadn't been written yet. All of us out here wrote it uh, last night and there have been follow-ups on it as well. But United, people at United conceded that at the start of the summer, the expectation was he would be among the outgoings, whether on loan or permanently. It's very difficult, not impossible, in fact, to have to create a market for what, a 26-year-old French forward who costs £58 million as a teenager, has a maximum of three years left in his contract and has scored eight goals for his club in the last two seasons. That is a very hard sell. Had Marshall been on the periphery, then maybe you could have seen a loan transpiring towards the end of the window. But Cristiano Ronaldo's absence has worked wonders for Marshall. And in fairness to him, rather than just, you know, meandering through games and getting a goal here or there, he's been scoring goals, but his performance level has been terrific as well, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. He's played really, really well. Um, he scored goals that I always expect from him. He's looked sharp. He's linked to play well. I think he's linked with both wingers well, combined with Fernandez well on the edge of the area a couple of times. He has looked very good. I mean, his loan spell at Sevilla last season was a real disappointment, but maybe bizarrely that's going to work in his favour. Because had it gone well, he scored, he played 12 games and scored once. once. He scored eight in 12. Maybe there would have been a market for him yeah. and he might have left. The reality is, I can't, we were having this conversation out here the other day that um, the, the, the COVID financial effects on European football, I mean, the Premier League is essentially untouched by it. Mm. Every other league has been heavily affected. Even a player like Anthony Martial now, aside from clubs in the Premier League, there are maybe between a dozen and 10 that could afford his wages to sign in. Including Premier League. League clubs. No, without Premier League without clubs. Premier clubs. Maybe a dozen, maybe 10. If that, even. If that, possibly. Yeah. Um, so essentially, and this is going to become a real issue, I think, for Premier League clubs, that you pay players so much, they drop down the pecking order, they're on the fringes, you just can't get rid of them because... And that's why Chelsea and Arsenal are signing players from City. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're going to have to sell to your own, to, to, to rivals, yeah. essentially. But at the start of this summer, I don't think any United rivals would have looked at Martial and thought, no. we'll, we'll take him. And in Europe, you're looking at clubs like Sevilla, who could probably afford 50% of his wages. Yeah. So... There was, there was never going to be a market for him, which has worked in his favour. Touching on what, what we said about Ten Hag before, that he's not afraid to talk about players individually. He was asked about um, Martial after the second game, the Melbourne victory game in yeah. when he came into the first game in Melbourne. There. Yeah, And he a couple of times <clears> he <throat> mentioned about his focus. Yeah. His focus is, is great. And again, it was really insightful comments about a player. And I think for everyone that watches Martial, you just thought, 
that's bang on. Yeah. You know, he's he's trained yeah. with him for three weeks and he's got him sussed. Yeah. That if he is permanently focused, if he is on it, there's a great player in there. But you get the impression that he's not always permanently focused, that when he's out the team, his focus can drift, that he can yeah. almost just have seasons like the last two that have just passed him by. He, he's had some not just this year as well, but there seems to be, you know, unstable points in his domestic yeah. life as well, which that, that that must have an impact on the way someone's playing as well, you'd have thought. So Yeah, yeah. It's in, you know, it, it, essentially fo- footballers, they always appear like different, especially to fans, like you know, they're, they're different from the rest of us, but they're not. They're affected by the same problems as, yeah. as everyone else. The mind doesn't insulate from that. So there are going to, if they've got those kind of issues, it, we'd probably take them to work occasionally. Mm. So you can understand that yeah. the players do. Um but it does feel like, like I say, he has these these seasons that just sort of drift by and then suddenly he's out of the team and everything looks a bit of a challenge for him. But Ten Hag, those comments seem to really, they hit home to me in terms of like, that that sounds like how you should manage Martial. That's yeah. the message to send him that this is what you can do if you are focused and on it all the time. And maybe the the intensity, I think every player we've spoken to this tour has mentioned the word intense in there. Yeah. It's almost like they're having a sweepstake on us to... Um, <laughs> To wind us up, but it is the obvious words he to describe Ten Hag and his it, it was it, it was the obvious words to use that United needed um six years ago post Van yeah. Gaal. They yeah. needed to be more intense, and here we are talking about it again now. I think we sometimes we, we bang our heads together out here and and try and formulate something to do a, a feature or a piece. And and three years ago we cobbled together stuff to do a piece on how United pl- were trying to get the players fitter and. Lo and behold, now United staff are trying to get the players fitter again. And we just think, you know, what is the point doing this? We've done it before. And that's probably why it's pre-season anyway, but none of us are getting carried away with the way United are going. Because if you look at their transfer window still, if you were to, to rate it, it's so far, it is probably, it's a four or five out of 10. They've, the, the two key areas have not been strengthened and they've not sold anyone of any real significant note who was in that squad last season. Credit to Ten Hag, it does seem a lot more harmonious group, uh, more of a harmonious group. He's got players, all of them pretty much pulling in the right direction now. They're all singing from the same hymn sheet. They all agree, yes, they do need to be more disciplined. But some of these things, what they're saying, oh, yeah, you shouldn't be late for a meeting. You shouldn't be late um, to, to have lunch or breakfast. They are such basic things that it does make you wonder how on earth did it get out of control as much as it did last season? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I, we've heard Bruno Flanders and David De Gea this week basically say that we we needed this kind of discipline. We needed the discipline bringing in that it wasn't there. And it, I, I was going to ask it to, to David yesterday, but it's one of those situations where sometimes the subject moves on and you can't bring it back. But Why? How yeah. did it happen? Yeah. And I know you might have had managers... They'd, they'd probably that, just say, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, maybe they don't. Maybe it just sort of spiralled and before you know it, it, it's happened and there's, there's no there's no control within the dressing room. Obviously, they had two managers who didn't really have that style or that authority last season to, to bring it in. Well, as you said uh, yesterday, from speaking to someone, it's clear there was a fundamental issue with Rangnick about a week, a week into in, to his rage. A lot of people at the club, I think, had him pretty much sussed and I think that includes the players yeah. um, so that that's clearly an issue and that's something that's not going to happen under Ten Hag 
but it does. It, it's fantastic that you're hearing this honesty from players like De Gea and Fernandez. But it does feel like why? Why did that happen? And yeah. maybe it, it is the case. I guess it comes back to this. I what I was mentioning before that they are human beings as well. And if you're not, if you're not respecting your your manager and you don't believe that they should be in that role, and things can unravel. And especially when you've got, it, it's a funny, it, it's a, a stranger setup. Anyway, you've maybe got thirty professionals of. Only eleven can really be truly happy at a time because yeah. they're playing. You're always going to get some some slight divisions and, and things like that, and I guess it just spiraled out of control. But it does feel like Ten Hag is is changing that. It feels like the players want Ten Hag to change that. There's the players got a lot of criticism from fans last season, and I think fans all thought Ten Hag would come in and just lay down the law, and they'll have to abide by it. But I think to give the players the credit, I think they want that. Yeah. I think they're happy that Ten Hag is is doing that. Yeah. And maybe they shouldn't have let it get a, to a position like that. Maybe someone should have tried to take control of it. But I think that he, he is bringing in this regimented, almost sergeant major approach and this discipline. And I think I think the players are probably look at it thinking we we do need that and, and we want that and we're, we're buying into that. Yeah. Well, you what well, we knew for a fact that there was a, certainly among the majority of the players in that squad. There was a preference from the outset for it to be Pochettino mm, yeah. because pretty much he was familiar to them from the Premier League. Uh, I mean, I'm not giving away a source here whatsoever, but obviously Luke Shaw, as an example, is someone who has such a close relationship with him that he contributed uh, an afterward to his, his his book a few years ago. So it's not sort of difficult to imagine that Luke Shaw would have preferred to uh, Mauricio Pochettino mm. to come in all those months ago, and you know, again from speaking to certain people, there were reservations after Ten Hag was even appointed mm. because he was a bit of an unknown uh, quantity, which, again, people listening to this might think, well, why why would footballers, um, ha- why would they not do their research? But these are footballers you're dealing with. You know, they can be quite insular. They they don't want to be, uh, they're not on news now reading up things. <laughs> they, they want to be as detached from football as possible mm. after they come home from the training ground. But, it seems like, well, not seems like, these players have changed their opinion on Ten Hag very quickly because he's come in, he's hit the ground running, he's got them hitting the ground running as well, and he's given them pretty much what they need already to the point that he is saying things in training uh, during matches with expletives that if it was another manager saying them, for example, Mourinho, all hell breaks loose. Yeah. In this scenario, it's completely accepted and quite rightly so. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the way you win players over is by results and by them being able to see what you're doing is working. Yeah. And I think that's why it fell apart under Ranić. Within a couple of games, the players felt that what he was doing wasn't right, that it wasn't working, that he didn't, he didn't know how to improve them. And it fell apart. The players are, we're seeing things that are happening in trading and then happening in games. The players are feeling that and are thinking, this, this guy knows you know, this guy knows what he's doing, to put it in yeah. simple terms. And the the two second half goals he scored against Crystal Palace um, in the week on Tuesday night were absolutely fantastic. Were the epitome of, of 10 hard goals. I think they both started with De Gea playing out from the back. And there were clear elements of how he wants to play in those goals. Yeah. And you can imagine that the players are scoring those goals, seeing those goals happening. And they're thinking, you know, we practiced that a couple of days ago and now it's happened in the yeah. game. And that will give you so much belief in a manager. They're probably looking at that now and thinking, you know, this is this could be, like I said, we're not getting carried away, but 
when the players can see that, can see that what they're being taught in the training ground is working on the pitch, it's going to give you belief in your manager, and especially when we've seen that he's such a hands-on manager and a, and a hands-on coach. That's not always been the case the last couple of years. Oh God, but no, no. He is front and centre on the training ground. He is in charge of, of all of those drills. And then when, when those drills are, are producing the goods in matches, I think the players are going to be getting on board pretty quickly. Indeed. The the session we were at uh, yesterday morning at the Wacker was it was not particularly fascinating. I, I'd say the one in Bangkok was more so because they they trained slightly nearer to us and, and the drills they were doing were different from yesterday as far as we could tell we actually had to hurry in about two or three times because it was just absolutely lashing it down and I think I'm feeling a bit ill still after um, getting soaked yesterday morning but it's it's interesting even maybe it's not interesting to some people but after a while we realized that the uh the rank of the players was color coordinated which is something you you could imagine Van Gaal doing um, and, and maybe it is a very Dutch thing, but the players who were in the blue tops were pretty much the regulars, the starters. I mean, the, the team for the Villa game on Saturday was almost effectively given away, really, yeah. by those players. Uh, I think it was orange bibs for backups, reserves, and the um, fluorescent bib players were, were rookies, youngsters, players who will probably go out on loan or will be starting the season in the under-23s. Again, that's something that, certain people or punters would look at that and say, well, that's just creating divisions. That's that's not great for squad harmony. But again, because Ten Hag is so early into the role, because his intentions and his demands are exactly what they should be of a team, it's not so much getting away for it, but away with it, but it, it's accepted because he's, he's trying to create something where he's going to get the team up and running again and, and back up to speed. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he was asked about youngsters today, and obviously there's like an actual we've got yeah, he, he outlaid him, it. on tour. And he, he said today that it's great experience for them, but the priority has to be building a team for, for August the seventh. He, he used a specific word in the I'm, I'm struggling to think now about the, the ranks, different gen was it uh, generations? It might have been generations, yeah. It, it might have been generations, yeah. It was something like that. But he did, he, he did use that word, yeah, which I guess feeds into what we were saying about the, the training and the colour coordination. And it is great experience, but he's obviously not going to give Garnacho 45 minutes ahead of getting that no. front three working in, in a fluid way. And, and that is his priority. And I guess if he's explaining that, to, you know, if you walk onto the training ground and just throw those bibs to the players, the players are quickly going to suss out what's going on. If you're explaining to them the reasons and it's part of a drill or, or what you're trying to get from it, then the, the players are, are going to buy into it. The squad here is defined in generations. That's, that's, what, he said. that's what he said. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Most generations. Which makes, which makes sense in, in terms of the bibs and things like that. Yeah. He's explaining it to them. And he's got that show 17. He, he might get a run out um, tomorrow night. He'll almost certainly get some minutes in the right of Viacano friendly at Old Trafford. Mm. Um, on Sunday, is it? Um so there are going to be opportunities for him, but Ten Hag's priority, as he said, is is building that team, and I guess yeah. that's why that he's seeing a real focus on the the first team there in in those kind of sessions. He, I mean, we spoke about it in previous podcasts about whether he would try and maintain con- continuity with his selections, which is exactly what he has done. I think if you're if you're Klopp or Guardiola, you can you know it can be a, a mishmash really because. The hierarchy is already set. You've got brilliant teams as it is. United are starting from the ground up, so it makes complete sense for, for Ten Hag to be 
um, going about it the way he is uh, going about it. Uh, again, just going back to Marshall and mention of Garnacho there, probably last month Garnacho might have had his, his eye on Marshall's spot in the squad, but it was quite amusing when they were doing the, uh, we, we call them keep ball sessions, hipsters like Laurie Whitwell will call them the rondos, uh, and and Marshall blocked Garnacho's uh, attempted pass and, and pretty much just stared him down, yeah. really, as if to say, you know, know your place. But then he gave him quite an avuncular pat and, you know, said, on your way. But it's, again, that, you know, it's, it's something you can maybe read a bit too much in to the point where you do a, a, a piece that's hooked on it, as I have done. But nevertheless, it's I think it's 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 good colour. It's something that we noted. And it also shows that, that Marshall means business, which is not, you know, we don't normally, certainly yesterday, we've not maybe mentioned his name and, and those words in the same sentence. But there's there's a marked shift from, from observing United in previous seasons. They do play their final friendly in Australia uh, on Saturday night at the, the Optus Stadium, which we were nearby last night, uh, which, I mean, I've had the privilege of being in it before. It will be your first time in it. It's a, another magnificent stadium, very modern stadium as well. Uh, rather than just bore you to death with what, what have we got to look out for because you know, it's, it's, it's a friendly. Mm. Is it still the case of, I imagine it's got to be a case of, you know, maintaining that continuity, especially when Ten Hag, he was asked today, about the front four of Fernandez, Martial, Rashford, Sancho, could that start the season? He pr- pretty much said they would. It's just now it's it's, it's sustaining momentum and, and keeping the rhythm going and trying to improve on things. I mean, it was it wasn't probably reassuring for United fans that after the uh, the Palace game, Ten Hag seemed to be emphasising what they could improve on rather than mm. what they were actually good at in the game. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and you can see he's got those. Like he's clearly got very high standards and he's not afraid to tell players where where they're going wrong. As we heard from the touchline um, camera uh, yeah. microphone that picked up those, those, those very sharp uh, instructions. Six words, pass, yes, indeed. Words, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty clear now that he is going to play the, the strongest team. I think has there been maybe two two changes in three games that haven't been enforced, which I think was a Langer in for Rashford and Malassia in for Shaw. Yeah. Um, which makes you think maybe those are the positions that are up for grabs. Well, Malassia was in a blue top yesterday. They, they had 11 outfield 11, players yeah, training, almost as if he was trying to... Backs, yeah, so feel, like was, was, is it Shaw or Malassia? Yeah, maybe that's one that he's on an hour and over. Varane, obviously, we don't know his, his fitness status and, and whether he's going to get a game, but it does feel like it'll be pretty much a similar team again. It does feel now like it's, it's worth... I mean, that's obviously working for United, and yeah. there is... You can see there's a confidence building within that team, so it is worth going with with that approach. I think they got about they got about an hour apart from McTominay, who might well be a doubt. He didn't train yesterday. Did no, he? he was in the gym, doing gym stuff. So he may be a doubt. So maybe Van der Beek will get that role. But you know, they're, they're, it feels like they're building confidence through results and performances here. So it is worth going with that team, giving them 60, 65 minutes again, and and trying to get another result because it does. What are we two days from the end of the tour now, and it does feel like it's just been. Well, I mean, one big positive really. They've not signed a midfielder. They've not signed an attack, but yeah. an attacker. But from what we've seen here on the training pitches and in games, it has been yeah positive, hasn't it? It's been it has, positive, yeah, really. and absolutely, and, and quite rightly so as well. It's it's an upbeat mood in the camp. They they are actively working to make uh, more signings. They need more signings, but it does feel like they are heading 
in the right direction to the point where as we uh, both quipped uh, half jokingly the other night that we both fancy them to finish fifth yeah. <laughs> next season. Expectation uh, management. Yes, indeed, <laughs> indeed. Uh, as as I touched upon earlier, we had the uh, the pleasure of, of interviewing David De Gea yesterday. Uh, rather than get into the details of what he told us, because there's an embargo on that, and this podcast is probably going out before then. Was that the most unique setting you've ever been in for? I think so. For an interview. It, was, it was absolutely incredible. I mean, yeah, you know, you've always you've always done United in your sort of football journalism career. Yeah, mainly. I used to cover Burnley, and I did some some slightly unusual interviews, I guess, on preseason tours there, but nothing like this. The hotel they're staying at in in Perth is the, the Ritz Carlton. Yeah. It's a very nice hotel, but we were in basically in a random bedroom interviewing De Gea. I'm not sure whose room it was. It did have a guest Mr. name, Coombs. Mr. Coombs, yes. um, who uh, I Googled him and I, I'm not aware of him uh, you know, holding midfielder anywhere in, uh, in Europe, <laughs> so I don't think he's he's coming in. But yeah, Mr. Coombs, whoever that might be, lends us his room. and All, fairly, t- all 10 of us. Yeah, so yeah. 10 of us from the pack crowded around. And it was, not, it was not a particularly um, a vast room either. It was I mean, a fairly I... tight room. And I mean, you bagged, there was a little sort of stool in front of the bed, which I think you bagged. Yeah. And a few others. And then, yeah, there was maybe three of us that were basically lay on three the bed. Three of us did. A couple were slouched on the bed. Yeah. It, it, it was like a, a scene from maybe Alvida's Pet or, or, or just, you know, the rejected remake of The Hangover. <laughs> yeah, I think that was... Uh... Um, yeah, but but De Gea, De Gea certainly saw the the funny side yeah. of it as he shuffled uh, in and was shaking hands with us. But that that interview and and the a news line will be up on the site at about five pm I think uh, today. We're speaking on Friday the twenty second of July. So uh, depending on when you're listening to that, it might already be live or it's about to go live later on in the day. Uh, I think we'll leave it there, Ty. Thank you very much for your time. I believe we will do one more of these from Perth uh, on Sunday. We've got quite a late flight back, so we'll have ample time to dissect the uh, the, the Aston Villa game, unless we're hungover or <laughs> or just or just too t- too tired from from the jet lag, the travelling, the work, the, the you know working into the wee hours. Uh, you know, it could be all manner of excuses, yeah. but we will be doing another of these uh, on, on Sunday due to our late departure time back to the UK via via Doha, I believe. So uh, normal service resumes again next week where I'm sure there'll be the odd Q&A for for my sins and and, and the the podcast will be detached again, although our office has reopened. So we're we're still not a little bit in the dark. We're in the dark over at the podcast future as as United are with Cristiano Ronaldo, I suppose. But uh, we'll be doing podcasts next week and for the foreseeable future as well. Uh, Please give us a like and subscribe if you can. Uh, We always appreciate that. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we will speak to you all again on Sunday after the Aston Villa game.